Hey everybody, it is episode 69 of the Running Rogue Podcast. Ooh, 69! 69, baby! We're 69. getting dirty in the house. Getting dirty. <laughs> enjoying. We're enjoying ourselves. Yes, with Steve episode, is definitely. With episode 69, this is a one of those days where we record back-to-back, so beers beers have been flowing. Yes. Which means you never know what's going to come. I won't be I won't be roasting a pig or or or, <laughs> or uh, sacrificing, sacrificing a, calf. a calf or whatever else. But it is the Friday we're, as we record here today it is the Friday before or I guess a week out from Marathon Monday, a week and a few days out from Marathon Monday. So this one this episode is going to be talking about Boston tips. We've already done a core strategy episode, episode number 14 and so if you want to get the full kind of breakdown of how we think about core strategy, go to episode 14. Today, we're just going to be giving you some reminders, some tips on thinking about this race that will help you get your best on that day. And of course, some of those things are going to be specific to Boston, but others will be specific to marathon in general. So if you have other spring marathons, I think you're going to still learn something from this episode. Before we get there, of course, Steve, we've got to talk current events, a couple of the track season started, as we referenced on our last episode, we had here in Austin, the Texas Relays, which is the kickoff to the summer track season here in Austin, an iconic event that begins usually on a Thursday with some distance stuff and then goes all the way through Saturday with a lot of a lot of levels. you got high school, you got collegiate athletes competing, you've got uh, elite athletes, pro athletes coming in for that. It's a, a really cool event. Really, the headline event for this weekend was... The pole vault, yeah, as, you, as you referenced, as with Rondo Duplantis in this one. I mean, that was a stacked men's pole vault. You had the world record holder, Renault. I'm going to mess up his last name, but Lavini, and Sean Barber, who is former world champion, American pole vaulter, and then of course Mondo Duplantis, who is the up and coming American based phenom. He's an American. His mom is Swedish, right? So he. Jumps for Sweden so he doesn't have to deal with all the drama. But right. Yeah, he's Which an American. Right. Straight up bull-faced American. But and, and if you count Louisiana as being yeah, an American, right, 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 right? There's another question there. But that was <laughs> that was the big the big event. I saw clips of it, and Mondo delivered, set the world junior record for the pole vault with a 19 put feet. The, put the bar back on the top. It yeah. was so sweet when he. I love it how that event. He's got you flair. can totally fuck it up. You can knock the bar off, but if you've got the wherewithal, the ability to put it back up where it was, it yeah. counts. It's it so place. cool. Yeah, it, was it was awesome. awesome. <laughs> so if you go look up that replay of him breaking the world junior record, yeah. I'm sure it's out there on YouTube. Because yeah, he basically almost knocked the bar off and kind of resettled it into place on his way down. Had the presence of mind to do that, but broke the world junior record, 19.4 feet. Mm. which is 5.92 meters, which is how they measure the pole vault. It's only it's only about 10 inches short of the world record, which <laughs> Renault, who was there, actually has delivered a couple years ago. He's he's jumped 20.2 feet, eclipsing the great Sergei Bubka's former world record. He did that a couple years back. He was in the event. They all He, he Sean Barber, and Mondo all cleared... 5.92. At that point, Mondo dropped out, decided not to continue jumping. Sean and Renault continued. Ultimately, Renault won because of none, nobody cleared any more heights. But, they call but because of the way things work in terms of how many misses you have and correct. so forth, the Renault got the win, the world record holder in the pole vault. Sean got second, who's a previous world champion. Mondo got third. 
but competed as you know you said he'd be with, competing with the best of the world and maybe the best in the world he didn't win the event but he was right there cleared the same heights as those guys i thought it was super interesting that he chose not to go back out right um it so our listeners need to realize that the pole vaulting community is very different they're actually really similar to distance runners when i was at ut we had a absolutely completely utterly badass pole vaulters and we had really good distance runners too it was almost like texas should have been a sprinting capital but we really weren't we went we went both we went the other way and i got a lot of time to spend with pole vaulters which has made me a like a compulsive pole vaulting fan because it's so different from any other event that we have in track and field. It's the circus. It's the craziness. They don't really care other than the Olympic Games, the Olympic trials, the world championships. Who They care who wins, but they more are a fraternity or a sorority where they really, truly want the best out of each other. They're excited about the next guy jumping to the highest level. And an event like this, which is kind of like what you would call a... What do they call it? Where it's like a like a like an exposition, where it's a- like exhibition. Yeah. Exhibition. It's like yeah. not. It's not. It's a real event. But they didn't care who won and who didn't win. What they wanted was to get the juices flowing early on in the season, and they did it in a place called Austin, Texas, at the stadium there. And a high school kid is jumping, jump for jump, right with them. Unfortunately, Mondo signed with LSU, so he's going to be. Uh, Jumping in the SEC rather than the Big 12, that makes yep. me sad, but I get it. It's all good. Right. But keep fans, if you haven't paid any attention to the pole vault, it doesn't take a lot to get a quick tutorial. Get on YouTube, watch a couple of jumps, and if you have any questions, ask Chris and I. We'll answer them really quickly and get you up to speed. This is a sport within the this is an event within the track sport of track and field. That's such a cool thing, and and we're right now. What's going on in the pole vaulting is so cool. Twenty feet is like what the four minute what the four minute mile was back in the fifties. Twenty feet when it happened was like breaking two in the marathon. Yep. It, it 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 happened earlier, but it was something that for a long time people thought wasn't possible. Now of course their sport is a little bit weird because they have an implement. And the implements the way that things change the in pole. the pole and the way that things change in technology means that their poles are going to change. So we're going to see people jump 21 feet and 22 feet. Things are going to be different than they are in our sport. I mean, in our event and distance running because shoes aren't going to make that big of a difference. But regardless, this yeah. is the, this is the, this is the crazy Cirque sideshow circus of our sport, which is so cool and so interesting. And the personalities are amazing. Well, and they're amazing athletes, but there's also strategy involved. Whether you yep. whether you skip a height or don't skip a exactly. height, and what attempts you take and don't take, and, and the wind is your, different. How like, your mix, misses play in that have different poles that have yes. different tension to them. They change where they're where they they actually change the standard. So the thing that the pole that they're the bar they're jumping over, they can move forward or back by a degree by certain degrees to yeah. decide how they want to approach it. So there's a lot of little technical things, but it doesn't really matter because if you're a fan, you're watching a dude or a girl run as fast as they fucking can. Down, at, they're running the hundred meter dash with a fifteen foot pole in their hand, and they are holding it over their head, jamming it in the tiniest of holes that you can possibly like imagine. A hole the size of a Dixie cup. They are throwing their body as hard as they can towards that hole. They are li- they're not <laughs> jumping up; they're jumping into the hole, yeah. making that yeah. bar bend in the, the most crazy way Slingshot that you can imagine themselves. to throw their feet 
up. Here's the crazy part. Then not only are they going to run into that hole as fast as they can, bend the pole as much as they can, then they're going to throw their feet over their head, put their head below their feet, and then it's going to slingshot them in a crazy way up and over a bar. It's so fucking and then they have cool. To let go and fall. And let go, and then hope they fall or from twenty feet. Fall from twenty feet. Maybe move the bar a little bit and hope, <laughs> dude. It's a. It's just so it's badass. Yeah, it's it's the coolest event in all of track and field. I'm a distance runner. I think they're the coolest. But I always watch the pole vault, and we now have what I think is the resurgence that we had in the late 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 nineties, early aughts of the pole vault being an amazing event. It is now. With LeVay, with with Barber, with Duplantis, we have we have another golden era of the vault, and this is a great time to be a fan of that event. And cool to see those guys, the vets, clearly supporting Mondo and what he's doing. They're excited. zero doubt. They're excited. They about are excited. Him. And that's part of the reason why they were here in Texas. That's the fraternity. Just to see it. So it's so cool. It's cool. So that was going down. I definitely encourage you to check out the YouTube videos on that because you also had the fans were getting into it the stadium was electric because of it it was awesome it's the way track and field needs to be texas is full of great pole vaulters because out in the out in the out outside the cities there's a whole bunch of frustrated cowboys (laughs) and they get on poles instead of horses now and bulls (laughs) (laughs) and then going to the distance events we got to give a shout out to allison cleaver yeah. Who won the 5K on Thursday night in a 1621, which for her is extremely solid. Did it all by herself and closed really strongly. Her last two laps, last three laps were actually progressively faster than the last. So her last lap was the fastest, closed really nicely, basically running by herself, one by 10 seconds. And she's been kind of doing half marathon training more than anything else. So. Props to Allison Cleaver for getting it done. Former rogue athlete, now trains with Steam Magnus, but lives here in Austin. They're getting it done. Whatever they're doing is working for her, and she seems to be in the groove, and that's a good thing to see. That's cool. The one result beyond that that I want to ask you about, Leo Manzano. No. Ran the 800 and 152. Don't make me say bad things about Leo on well, the Well, we don't have to say bad things. <laughs> I just want to put it in perspective for people. 152 is incredibly fast for the average human. It's no, not it's incredibly fast for an elite miler. What does this mean for Leo? I don't think it means that. Okay, I, I will say this. We, I truly believe that Leo is on, in the twilight of his career. I, I personally think he probably should have, as an athlete, he probably should have chosen a little earlier to do a retirement. Um, but I get it how it's hard when you, it's hard to find a post career career as an athlete. And Leo, um, has been the quintessential champion. And I don't know that he knows how to move into the next phase where each day is just a drudgery without a, without a national championship or world championship or an Olympic games, I mean, this guy's a medalist, Olympic medalist, Super and he's medalist. a winner. He's a fucking winner. NCAA champion. All he knows how to do is win. And so I, I, this is what I worry a little bit is that we're watching a slow devolution of a true champion when he could have gone out at a different point. But I will also say this. I've also seen – we could have said this – we said this five years ago. And, he's, and he came back and won a national, national championship again. And, yeah. you know, he's – he, well, yeah, Leo is notorious. If he has a bad race, it's a fucking bad race. No doubt. And there's really no in-betweens with him. 
No. It's either he's winning races or he's having ridiculous races that are just terrible, right? But there's no excuse for some kind of internal drama, right? His his coach, he switched coaches. He's been with his former coach, um, and and he's consistently doing the work with in that system. And so it's like, why aren't we seeing some kind of results? For for Leo to not run one forty nine or one forty eight for the just that that's four seconds slower and a half mar- and a half and a half mile. That's a lot of time. I mean, that's ten seconds yeah. in a mile. That's like way out the back. Um, I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, I think to me, the reason I bring it up is part of it is because it's also a reason why it's so important for people to be fans of the sport. Because Leo is a product, at least his current position, is a product of the fact that the economics of the sport no doubt suck. We should be. He should be. A ch- he should be doing something else incredibly well right now, and uh, yeah. we all should be supporting him. And and he should have the ability to yes. do that because he made enough money to in his prime. But you know, this is an athlete who who got a silver medal in the Olympics, arguably should be the gold medalist because he we know be. that McFluke is a fucking, he's a drug, fucking cheat. drug cheat. So he's a theoretically a gold medalist, but then got dropped by Nike, couldn't get a deal, ended up with Hoka, but probably not with the deal he wanted is struggling to try to figure out what's next for him, doesn't have a plan B, didn't make enough money in the sport to be able to give himself a transition opportunity, right, and to have some time to kind of figure that out. And so you have a guy who, in some ways, has to race. That's all he knows. And it's sad, not because, you know, you know, it's sad on him. It's sad in terms of the state of the sport. We, we owe him more I agree, for Chris. his contributions and he shouldn't be in this position where he's having to toe the line at Texas Relays and run a 152 when he's perhaps not ready. He deserves more than that. And this is a guy who we're fans of, who's who's been in our store, is a great human being, and yet he's having to make decisions that really aren't representative. I and mean, he knows he's not at his best. They're not representative of what he wants out of this sport. And that, to me, is the part that is sad, but also is an impetus for people that are listening to be fans Please. because we have to watch. We have to put eyeballs on this sport because then we need ESPN everything to pay else, attention. Everything else will come with it. Right. If we have, if we're fans. And so anyway, I guess it's a little bit of my message there is like be fans. But one thing I want to say, Chris, this isn't to contradict you. It's a counterpoint, right? Don't go to sleep on Leo Manzano. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I, I mean, don't he, go to sleep on Leo Manzano. He's done it before. He's done it before, and he has. And we we are rooting loudly for him. When you when we talk about magic, right? That's the magic you and I both agree on, yeah. right? The yeah. what he has with one fifty to go, it's oh, if he's in it, it could be over. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he he's well, he and is, this is the perfect year, really, honestly, to show that because. It's not going to be probably the best of the best at That's the 15 right. this year. And it's and a great so, way for him to get back in the so game. So we're rooting for him. So don't mistake this discussion that we're not. We Another weird thing that happened at Texas Relays, though, Sam Worley nowhere to be seen after he won it as a high school senior. He was nowhere. I don't know if he got yeah. – I looked at those results. I looked. I didn't see the race because it's all behind firewalls and all that other kind of crap. But it seemed like he maybe got tripped somewhere along the line because he was in it and then he wasn't. And I don't know if he – that's either a choke or a trip. I didn't see it. I didn't either, but it could. It was an eminently, 
eminently winnable race for him when you saw the final result. Right, right. But he ended up at 406. So hopefully that's not a sign of injury or it was a trip and not a sign of a head case scenario. But Sam, we're huge fans. Yeah. Rally, rally, monkey. Rally, rally. So next meet, we got to talk about Stanford Invite, which is at least really just outside of Texas. <laughs> well, two. <laughs> We're going to talk about the 10Ks, I guess, yeah. here, because those those there are a bunch of races at the Stanford Invite 5K. It's all college. 10K. It, that first Stanford meet is all about college athletes getting standards getting and getting worse. Yeah. yeah. But you do usually have some elites jumping in there. And I'm going to start on the men's 10K side and just highlight that Lopez Lamong was moving up to the 10K, former 1,500-meter Olympian from 2008, carried the flag it, for the U.S. at Beijing. A, his story a is amazing. 1,500-meter. I mean, he was a 8-15 guy for a long right. time. And he, yeah. When Coach Hayes former coached lost him, boy of Sudan, yeah. has a great history and, and story, has been floundering a bit in the last couple years, trying to figure out what's right. Tried the 5K for a bit. Didn't quite have the success he wanted there. Now has moved up to 10K. Got second place in this one. Got beat by Collegiate. What do you make of Lopez moving up? I don't know what else he has. I mean, I don't know what other option he has. <clears throat> Here's the thing with Lopez. If one of the greatest coaches in the history of the United States distance running can't make you faster, there's a problem. And I don't think it's a problem... Between his coach. Talking about Jerry Schumacher. Jerry Schumacher is his coach. I think based on the... I I have some inside info here. Because Coach Hayes, John Hayes, who coached at the University of Texas at the same time I coached at the University of Texas, he coached Leo... I mean, he sorry, he did coach Leo too, but he coached um, Lopez in college at Northern Arizona. And Lopez, from... John's description of him is a distracted individual who has lots. He's so preternaturally talented. He's sick talented that he could train six months a year and win. Um, and I think that he's, and he also got distracted by a couple of movie deals that were in play and a couple other things that were happening. He was looking at his post, his post career career um, you know, we just talked about Leo not doing that, but we're but here Lopez was doing that, and I think that may what may have happened is that Lopez didn't strike while the iron was hot enough, missed out some crucial critical training phases, aged up at just the time in his late twenties, early thirties, where injuries can start to catch up with you as you transition to those longer or when, where injuries can transition from that eight fifteen, and he had to move out of it. Um, it's an interesting saga. Yeah. The Lopez Lamont saga. Well, and then you get the buzzsaw, which is U.S. Army team, Scott yes. Simmons group, yes. Chalimo, Career, all those guys. But I will tell you this. If there's, when you ring the bell with 400 meters to go, if Lopez Lamont is on your shoulder, it's, you oh. You had better be ready because mm-hmm. he's probably going to win. The problem is he hasn't been able to find himself on those shoulders at crucial critical times. And he seems to be a, just a step behind. But it could be, too, that... The system that he's in spends a lot of time transitioning between altitude and, 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 and sea level. And where they're at in their phase is probably likely that he's really in a very heavy, heavy training phase. So um, the only people from Jerry's group that ran at Stanford were people who Jerry needed 
to learn something from, it seemed like. Yeah, well, Lopez needed his debut, so that was something to learn from. But it sounded like, at least from the next person we're going to talk about, that what they, they weren't necessarily tapering for this race, <laughs> right? <laughs> I guarantee you they weren't tapering so, for this race. So They came so, right but from But it'll be interesting, again, this is somebody to root for. I mean, it's been 10 years since he's made an Olympic team. And that was in the 1500. Now he's now he's going for than 10k, which, in a lot of ways, with Rupp moving out and the army guys doing different things and racing a lot, you never know who's going to be in that mix. I mean, the 10k could be ripe on the men's side. I agree for, with you for an opportunity for somebody like Lopez. So we'll see. Again, we're cheering for him, but it is an interesting move on the women's 10k. We had Gwen Jorgensen win in her 10K debut. Well, uh, her 10K track debut, I should say, because she's well post collegiate 10K track <laughs> debut. <laughs> Fair enough, right? She ran in college. She ran so 31, people forget she was a Wisconsin Badger too. Thirty-one anyway. fifty-five, and her first race in the Bowerman Track Club kit. We had known. Which we yeah. had the we intel. knew it was coming. We had the intel yeah. that she'd been training with them, but it wasn't official. Yeah, this Colleen, Colleen, Colleen wiggled out that. of that question. <laughs> she didn't gave she? us a little like, <laughs> insight there, but officially, Gwen Jorgensen is now officially a Bowman Track Club member, Bowman Babe, as Colleen calls them, and she won thirty-one fifty-five. Not a world-class time necessarily, but she beat Krista Schweitzer, who we talked about, the collegiate athlete who's having a good season, and. You know, she won. Ultimately, she won the race. I mean, that's probably what mattered most in this situation. She wasn't running in spikes. She was running in flats as well. So it's interesting with Gwen to see this journey. And just to remind people, Gwen Jorgensen, former gold medalist in the triathlon at Rio 2016. Multiple-time world champion. Multiple-time world champion. She retired from the triathlon to focus on running full-time. Declared in November, a couple days after Shalane won New York, that she was going to switch to road running and win a gold medal in the bold, marathon. Bold, bold, bold Somebody who's words. never run a marathon. <laughs> and so she made those bold words and is now in the midst training with Jerry and company. <coughs> we had we listened to her on the Sidious Mag podcast. There's also a great SI article, which I'll link to on her. Talks a little bit about her journey so far. There's the, the big th- takeaway for me listening to that podcast, Steve, is what you said when we initially talked about her announcement where I kind of dismissed her her potential to win a gold medal. You're not doing that anymore, are you? Well, I'm not, but not for the reasons maybe that you would think. But but the thing that came out to me in hearing her talk was she is a champion. You know, you talked about it at times. She's, she's an Olympic gold medalist. I don't care what event. Like there is something in the makeup of people that have that around their neck or that get to the point of having that around their neck. This is the is thing different. I was talking about. Yeah, so you different. you want me to not you don't you don't want it to be this way. It's that there's chutzpah. fucking magic. It's magic. Gwen it's chutzpah. Jorgensen it's is magic. You don't win an Olympic gold medal without magic. I think that Gwen Jorgensen is the most likely woman to win an Olympic gold medal in the marathon again. This is my reason. She doesn't buy all the bullshit that we talk about in this game. She's not worried about her nutrition. She's not worried about her fucking, how many miles she got in. She's not worried about anything. She's worried about one thing only. Show up on race day and I will slay dragons. 
I'm serious. I knew that because yeah. I know I know enough about the triathlon to know how hard it is to win. I also know about the triathlon, at least the Olympic distance triathlon, is that it brings you can't escape the run. They can all they get they get to they get to freaking what is it called? Like ride behind drafting. They get to draft. Yeah, I mean it is all about it's the run. It's bullshit. It's, it's all about, about the run. And she can close. And you saw run. it on Sat. You saw it on the race that she ran on the other yeah. day. She the hundred hundred meters to go. Literally, a, a, I anybody that's going to be running with her with two hundred meters to go, they are not going to win. You better yeah. be ahead of her before two hundred meters to go. If she's neck to neck with you, she's going to win. Not because she's got wheels. It's called. A horse finding a barn. <laughs> this there is there is magic in this person. I don't know her from Adam. I listened to that Sidious Mag podcast. Not a fan of she's no she's no Quigs. You know, I right. give me give it's me different. more. Yeah. It's different. It's, it's different. different. She's she's more measured. She's more measured. But I'm telling you, man, right now, in my opinion, the best chance we have to win an Olympic gold medal, we got Jordan, who so, I think is I think Jordan is being groomed for it, but I have watched Jordan play this game in this story of track and field as a little girl. She doesn't have will the story Will the story play out more than her individual desire to win? And Gwen, I'm telling you, if we had this on the men's side, we have athletes that are better athletes than Gwen Jorgensen on the men's side, way more. And I mean, and, and, and I, I, the problem is that I don't really buy go. Uh, Galen Rupp, he's still a fucking automaton oh, yeah. machine, yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah. we we don't have. Well, yeah, he doesn't. There's magic there, Chris. Is what I'm trying to yeah. say, and I I I'm not saying she's going to win an Olympic gold medal. I'm just going to say she will be there, and she will be going for it. And I am certain, based on the that that podcast I listened to, the work is going to be done, and Jerry's going to figure it. Out. Jerry's going to be Jerry's probably doing this with his hands because <laughs> he's like, I've got the perfect monster and they're from the same hometown they grew up in the yeah, same place yeah, yeah. The, the two things for me that i want people to think about with when and one of them is this idea that she knows it's ridiculous to say i want to win a Quinlan so gold true. medal in the very important she knows she knows that on paper her prs don't add up she ran 40 miles a week training for running in the triathlon now she's gonna have to build up to over 100 miles a week to get this done she knows that She's never run a marathon. She knows she just had a kid five months ago. She, she knows that the level of the playing field knows, has raised yeah, to an epic yeah, proportion. She knows her competition, both amongst Americans and the international field, is just ridiculous. She knows all of that, and it doesn't face her in the least. Care not. Because I and, care and not. And, and not <laughs> in a sense that she's naive. No, it's or just, dismissive. Or dismissive. It's just that I understand all of that. I respect it, and it makes me raise my game even more. Did you I hear get that, Chris? Even more excited about. Did you hear that in the podcast? Because that was the crucial, critical place. Yeah. She said, "He's he, Chavez asked her. It's a high level now, and she said, "Bring it on! Right, make it higher. No, yeah. I'm not afraid. I want it, to it be with the best, training with the game. best. I want it makes me raise my game. Give me a starting line and put the best people on the starting line. Why? Because you'll see the best of me, Chris." That's not the way the distance running world has played in the United States for the last 15, 20 years. 
it's been a dick measuring contest. It's been a who is playing what, what's happening where. Why are the women running so much better on the U.S. standards than men are? Because the women don't do that stupid dick measuring contest game. They just go after it. And then when the, when the water rises, to talk about an analogy you'll hear in a couple of weeks, when the water rises, all the boats will rise, right? Yeah. I'm, so, illusion yes, going yes. on there. So it's, <laughs> it, to me, it's just something to try to emulate. I think... Athletes like Gwen are born in a sense, you know, that no doubt she's wired to think yes. that way. And I think if we're if any of so us true. listening are not wired to think that way, then it it's hard to think that way. But there's definitely something to learn from it and to try to move into that headspace. Mental training. Yeah. You can learn. Stuff. You can learn warrior the warrior ethos. The warrior ethos. She's For born sure. with the warrior right. ethos. Exactly. She did not have to think about it. And if you even asked her to write it down on a piece of paper and document it and figure it out, she'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? You heard her. She's a dumb athlete. She's a smart woman, but she's a dumb athlete. She doesn't even know what she's doing. Yeah. She doesn't care. Follow. Just tell, follow. Jerry, Jerry, Just Jerry thank you. Tell me what I need to do. Yeah. I'll be there. And when the gun goes off, I'll be in the game. And when the when the finish line is close, I'm going to win the race. That's it. It's super simple. Tie it yeah. in a bow. Well, and that's you know, super scary stuff. 15, Chris. 15, 5K indoors, almost took her teammate to task, Emily Enfield. Yes. And Emily Enfield, who has an Olympic, not Olympic, a world championship medal. So the biggest challenge I think Gwen's going to have is just moving up to the volume, right? The, the time thing is really interesting. That she ran 31 high is irrelevant. Look at that race, yeah, the way cares? it played out. No, it's, she mean, had to take the lead. She had to do some she work. She was in the middle of a big it training It was slow. Block. It didn't matter. She it's hasn't like, been doing sharpening. For some, and, and, and Schweitzer was off her game. She wasn't ready. She, I think she was probably intimidated, but she also just won a double NCAA championship. She, yeah. she just needed to get her qualifier. I'm sure her coach shut her down and said, Leave it alone. <laughs> right. We're not racing against the form, right. the soon-to-be Olympic gold medalist in the marathon, by the way. But we're right. gonna <laughs> we're gonna just go after it in some other future moment, and and and, uh, and we be ready for the NCAA championships and the U.S. championships yeah. after that, there so we can play. Fish. There yeah. are other fish that, and and she just got her qualifier well, and moved and for on. For Gwen with Jerry, I'm sure it was like win the fucking race. You and know? and I think also Jerry's. I think the one thing that's happening here, which is really interesting to me, I feel like all we're doing is talking about Jerry all the time, but. He is the He's pinnacle, the and we don't have to worry about whether they're cheating or not, not like we do with, uh, with Alberto. Yeah. So we just know that he's—and he's playing mind games with them. I mean, it is obvious <laughs> that he's fucking with her head. He, he told her that she cannot run a half marathon, and she's mad, and you can hear it. Yeah. She's trying not to be mad, yeah, yeah. and she's doing interviews saying she's not mad. I, like, I literally—I've I've known this for a long time that— Personality-wise, Jerry and I are cut from a similar cloth. Yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I am no way, shape, or form saying that I'm of the caliber that he is. There's no doubt. You guys are both enigmas, though. We are, and we like to cheat, lie, and steal, and do whatever we got to do to make our athletes be better. And I can see what that's going on there is like making her earn it, making her hungry, taking and taking away, giving back, taking away, giving back. Um, He's also testing and learning from her too, right? Truly. Putting her into situations, seeing what happens, he's feeling her out. He's never had an athlete that has never that has done so little global volume. Yeah, that's a super scary thing. And he's probably had enough really intelligent people tell him that the time that she spent in the pool and the bike are worth a sum of <laughs> negative, maybe negative numbers, but they're not positive numbers because they're not in the same they're not in the same musculoskeletal system. So it's like it. He's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. But he's got it. If anybody can do it, he can. And she's certainly training with the best with that group and with Shalane and Amy to emulate. It's but I love the fact that she's not scared of them. Clearly, I love that this is the conversation that our space is hap having. That 
on Let's Run, there's an there was an entire conversation about this. We listened to the Sidious Pod, Pod yeah. Sidious Mag podcast. Um, not going to go there, but it, <laughs> anyway, um, it. I do love that we're ready. I think we're ready as a as a listener as a as a fan base. At least those of us who are paying attention, and I think the people who are still listening to us right now must be paying attention. <laughs> well, and that's, Steve, what I wanted to tell people, because this is really important to me, because Gwen's story is going to get taken by the major media no outlets doubt. because she has an Olympic gold medal, because she had a kid, because she's coming from triathlon, she's making this big shift. They're going to create a story around her that will all be true at some level, but it's going to miss the nuance and the power, the true power of it. The magic. The, the true magic of it because they're going to be glossing over, well, she just had a kid six months ago. Look what she's doing now. It's so amazing. And all that other stuff, which is a part of the story, but it's not the meat of the story. And so that's why I want to make sure that people know the name Gwen Jorgensen and then follow her in this journey over the next 18 months. Because we're calling it. Yeah. She's going to be in the she's mix. She's going to be in the mix. And, and I want you guys to understand her steps along the way, her races along the way, how she's thinking about it. Listen to every interview you can get. Learn the nuances of this story because it's going to be so much more powerful that way than spoon-fed to us ahead of the Olympic trials in the month before, right? If NBC is telling us the story, yeah. it's a bad situation. <laughs> right. Because they're exactly. just going to have pictures of her with, her, with Stanley and her yeah, husband, yeah. and they're going to have conversations, and everybody's going to be like, Ugh, cardboard, 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 good, cardboard. But there's so much more to it, and so much more to learn from her, especially this this champion warrior mindset, which you know you could see just bold faced coming out of that interview. So anyway, that's quietly <coughs> coming out. Yeah, of that I mean interview. it wasn't. Yeah, I mean it was. It was. It wasn't. Yeah, she wasn't. Had, she didn't have to scream it from the rooftops. But, God, I wish but we had interviewed the, her. I wish we face. had interviewed her. Well, we've anyway. got a connection now. We do. Um, we do. So <laughs> anyway, so that's my message, fans. Follow this story closely. Consume it directly from the source, and don't let the the media glossy stuff. Boston Marathon bewilder you. Yes, Boston we Marathon. We got to talk Boston how Marathon, we, folks. How do we just? How long did we just spend on that intro? Uh, 33 minutes. I think we might need to start. This is the point where we might need to make a separate podcast. Maybe. Hey, listeners, right <laughs> now, okay, if you think that you're so sick of this shit that we just talked about for the first 30 minutes and you don't want to deal with it, let us know because we're going to probably only get worse as we go along. So let us know because we can actually maybe cut we this into two different. We, we can, can always, always sub it out and, and split it out because we've had a few people tell us that. Maybe they liked one thing better than the other, but anyway. All right, so we have 30 minutes now, Steve, to talk about Boston. Oh, I'm good and with that. And the way we're going to do it is this. So first of all, I got 45-minute one-on-ones I do with my athletes, yeah. so we're well, good. Well, I've got 30 minutes before I have to go be a dad. So episode 14, go back and listen to it. If you're racing Boston, Boston Race Strategy, episode 14, that is a must-re-listen. There's a few others I want you to check out. Episode 5, where we talk about marathon race planning generally. There's a lot of good tips in there. And then episode 17, parts A and B, we talked about in inspiring stories from Boston, which I went back and re-listened to parts of that the other day, Steve, and it was just like gives me the, all the warm and fuzzies and the goosebumps. So go back and listen to that if you need some inspiration leading into Boston. Steve and I are both going to be there, which we're super excited about. We're going to be recording our preview episode from Boston on the Saturday before. We're, we're going to give Facebook you race, race preview and predictions that will come out the Saturday before Boston. 
And then our plan is on Marathon Monday to be Facebook living our commentary from our Rogue Running Facebook page where you're going to get to hear our I'm only getting more excited live, about this. Our Chris. live in race commentary about what's going on. I, we're probably going to be pee, be peeing down the side of our leg yeah. and not really doing very so, good job, but so it's going to be super fun. So check that out. And it's a it's a it's a it's a and if no, go ahead. Yeah, and so anyway, so all that stuff is coming. We're super excited about our Boston stuff, but this today is going to be kind of quick hits. We're going to be giving you five tips to think about in getting ready for Boston. Some reminders. On strategy, but also just some overall overall kind of warm and fuzzy stuff. We're going to start with the more tactical side of things, Steve. And this we obviously talk about in episode 14. But it's funny. As much as I, even as a coach and as an experienced Boston runner, know about the race and course and so forth, as much as I know and understand how this thing is structured and how you should run it, looking at the course map, there's always that little temptation, that devil on the shoulder that says, oh, man, you got to take advantage of that first three miles, bank four it, miles. Bank it, baby. Bank it. Bank that time. Bank it, baby. Get out. Use that That's first That's what it mile. says. It says bank it's it, fast baby. fast first bank mile. It. Use it. All the energy of the crowd. It's either that or then you get in the, just get into it and you're in the middle of it because of all the energy. Or and people the going number of bodies that are around you. All the bodies and you get sucked out. So point one here, guys, is if you want to have a good race, you got to start slow. Slower than your target pace. Slower than slow. Turtle slow. Like yeah. as slow as you people possibly can. People should be flying past you. Yes. And you, should you should be, be worried about people about knocking it. you down because you they're bumping You should be happy about you. it. And I can't stress enough how important that is because if you blow your quads on that initial downhill, then you're done. Like you might as well stop after mile one, right? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second, but yeah. it is... It is uh, Chris, the thing that I think that happens to people is that je ne sais quoi, the, the, the space of the moment, the time and place, the lift of the standing around doing nothing for a long time, the late start of the race, yep. the environment of all those bodies around each other. And the most important part that I think is all those stupid ass men who think that they're going to run 15 minutes faster for the marathon. <laughs> and they're only men. I mean, women don't do this. They're only men. And they're lined up in your corral with a qualifier of 327. And they're going to suddenly run sub three or sub 310. And they're going to go for it. And you are going to see them later, <laughs> probably at 10 miles. Believe yeah. me, if, if, you, if you will, cloud. please yeah. listen to us. Because what happens is that you get sucked into a, in a moment, that experience of the moment. But the problem is, is that what's going on in that moment is a whole bunch of false flags, a whole bunch of fake news, a whole bunch of bullshit. It, know what got you there. Know what your training is ready for. And if you do, mark a few of them and see if they've got, if they've got some kind of crazy headdress on. Just predict at what point in time you're going to pass them. Mm -hmm. Whether yep. it's at 6, 8, 10, 25, doesn't matter when you pass them. You're going to pass them because they're going to be doing stupid stuff. That's the mentality that I try to get my athletes to think about, Chris, is that they're, they're not just conserving for themselves. They're watching a bunch of stupid idiots be crashed against the shoals 
like it's the sirens. I call this section the sirens because it's like from the mm, story yeah. of Odysseus, yeah, like good. that they are going to be crashed. That they call them in, they call them They're in, and they get enamored. crashed against. They get the enamored. Beautiful they, music, and they get crashed against the yeah. fucking cliffs yeah. because they got sucked in. And the cliff will happen at fifteen, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But that's it. It's like just know that stupidity is happening, and you're not so stupid. Right, and. You know, a couple tactical tips on that. You know, one, I recommend starting at the back of your corral. Whatever whatever corral you're in, I don't care. Just go to the back for a couple reasons. One, it's usually not as crowded because everybody's kind of pushing forward into those corrals. So you get a little bit of a gap where you can actually breathe a little bit. And and then you let all the crazies go in front of you. And yeah, you're going to get some from the corral behind you that come. That's going to happen. But at least you're not tied up into the crazies in your corral. Almost all the people at the back of the corral too, Chris, are thinking the same thing that they you're know. thinking. They know. They're doing so the same start thing. Start at the back of your corral. Second, from a pace standpoint, and we talk about this on episode 14, You know, I recommend starting at least 30 seconds slower per mile in your first mile. About 20 but 20 to 30. I just don't think range. it's going to happen, so I think it's bullshit. So I just say yeah, 20 and then figure they're going to get but, at MGP. And if it's but. slower than that, great. But if it's faster than that, we have a problem. Yes. So at least 20 true, true. seconds slower than your target pace. And then from there, work down to your target over the first three to four miles. But just don't be in a hurry. My gosh, this is a long race. So and many, one so many thing, chapters. One other thing, Chris, here is stay at the crown of the road and carry a handheld water bottle. Pro- preferably not one that you care about. Just grab an Ozark bottle of some sort. Do not hit any aid station in the first four to five miles. No aid stations. Stay at the crown of the road so you're not running around trying to white weave in and out of people. We'll talk about that in a second, about how that's important from you know, one on. But if you carry your own water bottle, then you're not worried about anything else and you're just staying in your zone. So tip number two. So that's one. Start slow and don't get sucked in by the sirens. I like that analogy, Steve. Tip a two, Greek, a little Greek tip philosophy. Tip two, which is sort of a tip that you've kind of been bringing into play, really in your conversations with Boston athletes. You've got training. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about it exactly this way in terms of cutting the course in half. So, talk about that. So, the thing is, is that I've found that athletes were telling me when I asked them to check in at. I, I love 16 and 21 miles on this marathon course. They're like, to me, they're the, the, the key points on the race course. And so people would tell me later after the race that they got to that 16-mile marker or they got that 21-mile marker and they checked their cumulative time and they were way further. They, they, it wasn't right. Like they were a half, a, a quarter mile or a half mile off. And I said, I don't care where you are on your Garmin. I fucking hate Garmin's for exactly this reason. They are not real. They're useful, but also demons. Anyway, the that 16-mile actual mile marker and your watch's cumulative time at that point is what I call a gate, and people were not even close to it. They were a quarter mile off, which is, in most people's case, two minutes, three minutes difference. And so what I began to realize at Boston is that people were so, so much variance in the bodies in terms of the course as it went along is that people were weaving in and out of people. And so what I came up with this year is I basically do a drawing of a road, two lines, just work with me here, two lines and then a line in the middle of those two lines. And so the line in the middle is the crown of the road. The line to the right is the 
outside edge of the race course and the line to the left is the outside left edge of the race course. And what I'm asking you is to cut the course in half by saying cut your distance that you run on that course. Either go center left after the first couple of miles or center right after the first couple of miles. Meaning run on the crown on the road as long as you can. On the crown of the road as long as you can. And once you get into a rhythm feeling where the people around you are going, either choose the water stops on the left or choose the water stops on the right. But never cross the center line of the race course. And if you do that, there's no chance that you're going to try to run more miles than you have to, more meters than you have to. So cut the course in half by cutting it in half in the middle lengthwise. And then the you're road much, itself. Yes, the yeah. road itself. And you're much more likely to run a shorter distance along that course. And then it will also require you, if you do that, to actually slow down when somebody in front of you is moving slow rather than just bolting right or left with a different energy system, changing the entire mechanics of your body to get out of their way, you're going to have to actually slow down a little bit and then move to the left or move to the right instead of darting like a rabbit left and right and left and right, which I also know is a really costly endeavor for athletes that are running Boston. Cut the road in half and then stay in your lane. Cut the road in half and stay in your lane. That's exactly right. It's so important. I remember in 2015, 16 when I had to walk the last four miles with the stress fracture in the f but in the first part of that race I had a big goal that day I remember being frustrated by the heat but also frustrated by all the bodies around me and doing way too much moving around because I instead of accepting all of that around me I was fighting it I've and been at a lot of concerts at concerts that they ended right and you're everybody's trying to get to the gate out out the door yeah and I always choose the longest, most circuitous route because I saw a little opening. Now, most of the time, I'm not of the best frame of mind at this point. I've either <laughs> had a little bit to eat, drink, a little bit to smoke, a little bit of who knows what's going on right then, right? So I'm like looking for the giant gap. But I think that's what our athletes are doing at Boston, Chris. It's probably what you were doing at that moment. You were like, I see daylight, but it happens to be literally on the opposite side of the course from where I am. And that matters more than the fact that I'm going to run probably another five meters. And if you add five meters, add five meters for 26 times, that's a lot of meters. Not like to you're mention the muscle power and sh things you're, you know, power you're using to just shift gears and get there. Here's another way I talk about it. Like how many times you've been in traffic and you change lanes in deep, heavy traffic? And at the end of the day, everybody, if they go 10 miles, they all end up at the same goddamn place. But in a half mile, it looks like somebody made up a whole lot of distance. Right. Nobody's making up that much distance, people. Everybody's moving at the same rate of speed generally to get where they need to go. Stay where you are. Let your lane work the way it works. Take a deep breath. Chill the fuck out because we asked you to go slower anyway, yeah. and you'll get where you need to be. By the time you get to 10 miles, for everybody that's about 320, 315 and faster, you're going to spread out by 10. Our 330, 3.40, 3.4 hour people, you guys have to do that a little longer than every everybody else. Why that is, I don't know. Maybe it's just, I don't know exactly how that plays out. Why, with the, with the way the waves work, it should be planned out appropriately that way. Or maybe people are just more less stupid right and they are more running the paces they should run but it seems to be when people start at the 340 or 350 place they have a much harder time getting through their crowds 
But our basic point is to go back to the first one, right, Chris? Yeah. Take it easy. Take it easy. Relax. I promise you this course has so many gifts to give you from 10 to 16, from 16 to 21, from 21 to the finish, that you can make all that ground up. You can make up everything that you think you're losing if you're patient. It's, it's not unlike a track race where you see an athlete sit on the rail, seemingly look boxed in, but they stay comfortable there while everybody else is jockeying on the outside. Doing stupid going shit. Going around, yep. wasting energy, weaving and bobbing. And then inevitably, that person on the rail who's been running efficiently and saving energy finds an opening at the end and comes through and wins. You know what happens is everybody goes zombie. Like the, <laughs> the people that don't do it right go zombie. I have Every time anybody goes zombie, they go to the right. They go right, yeah. And always go right. So if you stay left, you blast You'll right through. <laughs> so cut the course in half. Stay left, center, left, right, and then stay in your lane. People weave in front of you. Just chill out. Don't move. You'll get, you'll get through. You'll get there. Which is a, is a good sort of complement to our third point, which is that in Boston, you have to take what it gives you. Amy Burfitt in the Boston documentary talked about this, where he was a student of the marathon and his life dream was to win the Boston Marathon. He ultimately did. But when he was talking about the heat and the weather and all those things that come with Boston, his response was, look, you got to take what boston gives you and don't fight it just like you don't fight the runners around you or runners are cutting in front of you you can't fight what boston gives you that means weather that means logistics that means course that means all the pieces because it's it's coming at you with a lot of different things and i've been in that place i remember at various times when i've done boston sitting in the waiting area not not the athlete's village, but the private bus waiting area where we, we were kind of getting ready to go to the start line and being frustrated and angry and annoyed by the logistics or mad about how warm it was that day or frustrated by the challenges of the course. And you don't beat Boston. All you do is run it, run it and either run a beautiful Boston or not. But you're not winning. <laughs> the course is winning. The race is winning. And so you have to roll with the punches. Takes what it gives you. We're, th- we're, you know, 10 days out. Who cares what the weather forecast says? But right now it says, uh, you know, I think mid-40s low, mid-50s high with rain and clouds. And it's going to probably be different in 10 days. No. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. Okay. Whatever. Too many days before, too many days yeah. after, exactly the same Any, anyway, conditions, but it, whatever. It, but it may be raining. Go ahead, negative. It may be Nally. raining. Go ahead, critical. It may be raining. It may get hotter. <laughs> it may get colder. It doesn't matter. But the point is, you got to take what it gives you that day and well, then why? do your best with it. Well, this is the thing. I think we're going to get really good weather, so you better take advantage of it because you're only going to get it. But the thing here, Chris, is it comes down to a one simple statement. Run a beautiful race. We ask our athletes to do this all the time. This is a, I think, I don't, I don't think this is like rogue, rogue owned. I think it's, sure. I think everybody does this, but we really, really, really preach it here. It's that just do the best you can on that day, run a beautiful race. And if you do, if you know that you did everything you could do, given all the circumstances. So if a day turns out to be a 75 degree day at Boston, it doesn't matter. You still have a chance to run a beautiful race. You might not run the time. Here's this, like, there are no, there is no plan B, right? To me, yeah, there is no plan B. Plan A should always be 
an unwritten plan, right? It's like the pre-plan, which is run a beautiful race, and then we're going to make plan A. Because you should always be thinking about running a beautiful race. And Boston is the place, which is why I love it so much, because people say, I can't PR. I've never PR'd at Boston. I had an athlete that spent 10 years trying to PR at Boston. And when she did, she stopped racing. She's literally, she still runs. She runs every day. She's never run another marathon. She is a lifelong runner, and she loves it, but she spent 10 years she on one single <laughs> endeavor, and she did it on one of the worst days that you could possibly imagine. And she said to me later, I remember her saying, is like, I just needed to run the best race I could on that day instead of trying to run the time I was trying to run, which is what you're making, the point you're making in this is run a beautiful race. At Boston, it demands it. It asks for it. It begs for you. It's actually, It actually will reward you if you play in its energy. There's something going on on the roads on that course with the energy level of the people around it. There's things happening that if you connect into that energy, you'll feel it. You know, if your race isn't going the way you want it to, raise your hands, give high fives, kiss babies, move on down the road, and you'll get something out of it. If you're running the best race you possibly run, and you're going to run the PR, the best, you're going to run your best day, your best time ever on that course, you're going to get it. If you're, you know, in Kristen Tucker's scenario where she's pregnant, she never should be on the course at all. She never should even be out there. And yet she's committed to not walking even one step and she runs the whole entire race. And afterwards she says, that's the best race I've ever run in my entire life. And it may be the best race I ever run in my entire life. That's what Boston requires. That's what Boston asks. It's not the individual. It's you connecting to that space, that energy, that place and doing the best you can. When I walked the last four miles in 2016, that's what I did. Gave everything I had. That's all I had that day. But in a lot of ways now, I learned more from that race than I learned from races where I've had PRs. So that's point three. Take what the race gives you and run a beautiful race. Point four, and we did a little bit of a diatribe on this with our podcast training group. Steve, we've got athletes doing Boston, and they're in the process of talking about their goals and their race plans for Boston with us. And we called them out a little bit on on the fallacy of thinking, which is which many marathoners are guilty of, which is that I'm not going to be able to finish strong. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to close. And so point four is you got to trust your close, especially on this course. If you run a race, a smart race like we've talked about, you're going to be able to finish. The course is favorable in that way, but you got to trust it. If you don't trust it, it won't be there. If you don't trust it, you run too fast early. Yeah, and it that's what's going to happen. And it, and it won't, won't be, be there. there. So basically, what we're telling you is, don't be a fucking dumbass, right? I mean, that's really what we're saying. The gifts this race gives you at the end. I mean, okay. So here's the thing. Chris and I are talking about the gifts this race gives you at the end of the race, and we understand that somebody could counterpoint and make the argument that the shit it throws at you from 16 to 21 is so fucking egregious and absolutely inappropriately placed. But anybody that's run those hills, at least people in Austin, none of those hills are fucking that bad. They're just positioned in a weird spot where everybody wants to settle, relax, chill before they have to fight to the finish. And Boston says, oh, hell no, motherfuckers. We're going to make you do some work. And we're going to make you do what you need to do. The other thing is, is everybody wants to tell you to slow down in those miles. I don't, I think if you've run appropriately and done the kind of training in the hills, you should allow yourself to slow down if that's what the day gives you. But my, my point is not about what happens from 16 to 21, because I think that that's an over-preached 
storyline. But I want to make sure that people understand that the thing we're going to talk about right now, which is 21 on, does have some stupid, crazy shit thrown in at the most, uh, most inopportune moment for it to happen, right? But if you can get through that by creating the best race plan you can get before that, mile 21, mile 20 and a half, with all those drunk ass fucking <laughs> spit throwing, screaming motherfuckers at Boston College, telling you wonderful things are terrible things. It's crazy the athletes that I've asked after the race. Tell me what they say to you. What did they say to you? Everybody has a wonderful feelings at Wellesley, right? Because they kissed people and blah blah blah. But their feelings at Boston Colleges, those guys were fucking assholes. Those girls were assholes. They were drunk motherfuckers. They were spitting at me. They were throwing shit at me. It's it, it's the mix, right? But you're just so angry and so upset by the fact that you had to go through all that shit. It all happens at twenty and a half, and then you start to come downhill. The twenty-one mile marker, the race changes. The course opens up. There's plenty of room to run. It gets quiet, and if you're ready, you can put on the jets. And anybody that's been appropriately trained, who's been training within three, between five minutes of what their goal time is, and they think that they're ready to run the goal time that they want to run within five minutes, you can jet down the backside of this course. We talked about Bill Squires and how he, his entire training protocol for all the great athletes that he coached who won many of them who were in in the winner's circle at Boston or in the top three to five athlete after athlete athletes who were non-credential athletes in the U.S. who nobody's ever heard of before who went who ran great great beautiful races on that course they all say one thing you're ready close the last five miles and this course allows you to close the last five miles Joffrey Curry did it as a men's winner last year Everybody asks themselves the question, what if I can't? But we want you to ask yourself the question, what if I can? And visualize between when you listen to this till Monday morning doing just that because you can. And save a little. Save a little. Because if you save a little bit somewhere along, we, we really like you to follow our race plan, you know. But if you haven't, save a little somewhere so that you can take advantage of at least that 21st mile. Because that 21st mile is like falling down the cliff. It's amazing. So, last point. Number five, and then we'll wrap. And I get this one from you, Steve. In 20... What was that? 2014. The year after the bombing. And Rogue has a tradition of doing a marathon talk. We usually have between 50 and 60 athletes racing. So we do a pre-race talk since, gosh, as long as I can remember, we've done one in Boston. We've been doing it at the West End every year. And that year, your talk, the focus of your talk was that it didn't matter what your goal was, whether it be, you know, to the, there to, to be in Boston to run a certain time, be in Boston to experience it, be in Boston to have fun, be in Boston, whatever anybody wanted to do on that day it didn't matter what mattered was were you doing that to the best of your ability were you honoring this race by doing your best to achieve the most with your goal and I remember for me that year it wasn't about running fast I was just there to be there to support the community and to you know, give the big fuck you to the <laughs> the bombers. <laughs> to those for, assholes. Yeah, for doing what they did. And so it wasn't about running a certain time. And to love on Meb. 
And a little the, love yeah, on Meb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't about, <laughs> but, it wasn't, but it wasn't about running a certain time, but it did sort of wake me up and say, you know what? I may not be running my best time, but I need to give whatever I can on that day. And so for me that year, it was about helping my teammates early. I paced one of my teammates for half the race. And then the back half of the race, it was about me experiencing it and getting involved in the moment. I was high-fiving people. I was interacting with the fans. I was having a good time. I was experiencing the race to the fullest as a part of my way of honoring the, the race on that day. Everybody else was doing it in their own way. But I think that's the thing people need to think about is what's your goal and what does it mean for you to honor the history, the heritage, the city, the 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 marathon and the lore of it itself because if you give everything to it towards whatever your goal may be it doesn't matter if you hit that time necessarily what matters is did you honor it with your effort and if you give it to it it'll give it to you back yep doesn't it yeah it's like weird yeah if you honor it no matter what's happening it will lift you so I told a couple of athletes this in my pre-race talks. This is our march on Washington. We do it once a year, every year. Whether we agree with each other's politics, whether we see eye to eye on a wide variety of different political or sociological or even, even training group views, for this little window of time, from Hopkinton to downtown Boston, we're all the same, and we're on a we're on a parade. We all we all have different reasons for being in that parade, and we have all different reasons for how we're going to play that parade out. Some of us are going to be in our our our, our hoopties jumping up and down. And some of us are going to be locked and loaded in our race cars trying to run the fastest time we can. But all of us are going to spend some time honoring the fact that we get to close the roads of one of the biggest cities in the in the in, in the United States. And we're a pageant, and every one of us earned it. I mean, most of us earned it. I'm not going to too badly denigrate those people who didn't, but they paid their way, let's just say that, for good yeah. causes. Yeah. But everybody earned it. And and that, to me, Chris, it's like, this is our wa- March on Washington. This is every year we tell the world that we matter, that distance runners matter. This is why shoes are made the way they're made, why marketing is happening in our sport, why all the things are happening, why this race on the women's side, what's going to happen here. I don't, there's going to be a great race on the men's side, but what's going to happen on the women's side at the elite level in the U.S.? Like This is game. This is the Olympic Games for us. This is bigger than the Olympic trials. This is huge what's going to happen for us on the women's side. And women's marathoning is on the cusp of change. It's just like, to me, I can say, I can look at it also with my athletes who are there, who just barely got there, who are not trying to run fast, who are just going to wave at the crowds and kiss babies. And they've earned that right. They, they spent all those years and time getting to that point. We're all the same here. And we're runners marching to the finish line for this cause. It's just... I, I get goose bump, goose pimply in the way that I don't about politics in this regard. Oh, yeah. So regardless of your goal, do your part to honor the day and you will have success. Patriots Day, baby. Yes. So that's it. Those are our five tips for Boston. Look out for our preview episode coming 
on the Saturday before race day. And of course, check it. Check us out on Facebook Live. If you dare. This is a total experiment. If you dare. We're going to be doing live (laughs) commentary on Facebook Live on our Rogue Facebook. The good news is it'll be early and I'll be caffeinated and I won't be beer. It's going to be highly entertaining. So (laughs) check that out. We'll probably argue, Chris. We'll probably argue. Maybe we'll see some of you at Boston. (laughs) We will definitely argue, not probably argue. Come on. So anyway, thanks for listening, y'all. This is our shortest episode in a long time. So enjoy that. And we will talk to you next time.